Hi, everybody. It is going off track, and today is a very, very special day because for the first time in a long time, the Three Musketeers, and when I say three, if you've read the book, you know there are four of them, <laughs> are all here. <laughs> Jonah back from Southeast Asia, Mike back from the trenches of Nickelodeon, and Brad fresh off a brief stint in Austin, Texas, where... I don't know. What were you doing? Uh, working on gun control? I don't know what was happening. I was working on gun control. <laughs> I was working on, yeah, setting up a couple studios for our our stint down there. Rubber Tracks always goes to South by Southwest. And by always, I mean the past couple of years it's been in existence. And they do the cool <laughs> thing they do here, which is just record bands yeah. for free. Local and bands. Local bands for free. You get the masters. Look them up online. It's awesome. And we get to use their studios because they dig us. Can and I use also, the studio when you're gone? Absolutely. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Which is interesting because today's guest, Mr. Walter Schreifels of, okay, how do we do this? Youth of Today. Gorilla Biscuits. Gorilla Biscuits. Quicksand. Quicksand. Rival Schools. Uh-huh. Walking Concert. Walking Concert. Walter Schreifels and the Motorcycles. Uh, where's another one with the car? Super. World's Fastest Car. World's Fastest Car. Um, Civ. Civ. Yeah, there we go. I think we got it. Um, we had I feel to. like there's more. Probably more. He's done so much. Yeah, but that's enough. So apparently he came, hung out, and then just showed up and started rehearsing here afterwards? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, he's, he lives not too far away, so the silence, convenient. The silence you hear is, is uh, Mike Kenjemi clenching his fists. I'm so pissed. I missed it. <laughs> really Mike, mad. your arms are fucking huge, man. Have you been working out? <laughs> no, it's, this is what I call gaining weight. <laughs> well, it looks like it muscle. Goes, it does. Yeah, it, it does. Right now, you look very that, muscular. I'm at that pulling it off stage where it looks like I'm working out, but it's just almost tits. It's like all, it's, it's all real, water. <laughs> it's, but it looks okay right now. Yeah. Thank you, though. You're, I, you're welcome. I really, at this point, I have this like, yeah, I guess I could, I could pull it off, but it, with my shirt off, it's, yeah. I wish I gained weight in my arms. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it probably is from the baby, to be honest, like picking up her, uh, her car seat now. Yeah. Like I do a lot of. It's probably more lifting than I've done in a long time. See, don't yeah. sell yourself short, man. <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah. Jonah. laughs> Baby uh, exercise, dude. We, I know. Yeah. And you, you had a full plan to show up and hang out with Walter, and then it got... <sighs> work. <laughs> I was so pissed, but it was a great show. It was a really great show. Good. We're glad you dug it. Walter is. I mean, oh god. It's just if you've ever talked to him, you know. Hey, here, listen. Uh, this is very exciting. Um, Walter, I've met you once. Well, first of all, Walter Schreifels and going off track with us today. Uh-huh. Um, he's been in pretty much every band I've enjoyed over yeah. the past 30 years. Zap. Uh, what? Led Zap, Black they were Sabbath. Great. They, Zap, were great. they were great. They just did a uh, mashup of a couple of, a couple of our hits. Uh, they took our song, A uh, Whole Lot of Love, and mixed it with... Uh, uh, War Pigs, I think it's really, really came out. Real, I think it's going to come out. I mean, you know, the, the drummers in <laughs> both happy. those bands you have are just so low key. Yeah, and the DJs don't really do yeah. that. Well, it's the sampling I think that was done around '74 uh-huh, that really uh-huh. come a long way. <laughs> it's going to be that kind of show, everybody. We met once before, once yeah. before, and you wouldn't remember it uh, at all. But it was just very funny, and I have to retell it. Um, uh, I was working in an event. Um, and I, I left because I went to go see Jonah Matranga play. Uh-huh. It was one of his one-line drawing shows uh-huh. years ago. And it was at the Tap Bar, uh-huh. the Knitting Factory. Yes. And I, I went downstairs, and I'd met Jonah a few times and loved him to death. And he put me on the list. Uh-huh. And uh, the person on the list said, oh, do you have a plus one? And I went, oh, no, I don't have it. And all of a sudden, from behind me, I'll take it. And you walk over <laughs> with, with a plastic... A uh, container of almonds that you were just eating, as if hanging out at the tap bar. <laughs> and I went, "You're Walter Schreifels." And he went, "Yeah." And I went, well, "Let's go in." And we walked in. You went, "You want a beer?" And I went, "No, I'm good." And he went, "Okay." We got a Heineken, sat and watched the show, and then that was it. That's funny. But it was the coolest experience. I was like, "Right on." Yeah, I just on. do weird stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect. Keep the myth going. Stoke the myth. <laughs> He's weird. He just hangs out, eats almonds, wait for a plus one to come up. Very, very healthy. Yeah. Very yeah. healthy. I myth. went through a raisin kick too for a while, but then it just seemed like sort of like I was trying to be a little kid. You know, walk around with a little raisin 
little, the little pouches. <laughs> Which I didn't like yeah, when I was a kid. Wow. But it's I, funny. I was in. I got into chocolate bars for a while, and I was like, "This is shitty. I got to do better than this." So I saw those raisin things. Like everyone loves those little raisin packages when they were kids. Maybe I should get. It does look like nice packaging, and it's little, and it's kind of cool. And I would just hang Keeps out. Keeps you regular. Yeah, it's they're delicious. I love raisins now, but I don't eat the little package. It just looks a little silly eating them. Almonds you, it doesn't rough? look so cool either. You can pretend it was a giant package, and you were in fact a larger human being. Yeah, like a man package. Look at that. Yeah. Are you a fan of craisins? Uh craisins. What are craisins? Oh, cranberries, the, raisins, probably. Raisin, yeah. raisin cranberries. Right. It's like Sabbath. This could be a lucrative. <laughs> like somebody could repackage these foods that we love as children just so we don't look like fools eating them and adults. i think there's a whole thing at least in my generation a complete like uh uh hanging on to the the kind of like adolescent uh thing which i think is uh you know people wearing like just goofy stuff that they wore when they were kids so why not it's eat called raisins? being in a band it's called being <laughs> in a band. yeah postponed uh postponing growing up so yeah i think there is a market for that i mean if the uh sun-dried people find out about that See, the packaging for m&ms hasn't changed so i'm still good m&ms are good i'm fine god it's the worst so i'm getting into a lot of trouble with um well one of my kids loves chocolate and the other one doesn't so now it's my uh-huh. i have to get the other one into chocolate so like, stop uh-huh. 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 stop Giving her candy. I'm like, yeah. she's turning. Yeah. The Cadbury yeah. mini eggs are working. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever get them confused or no? What? The twins? Yeah. No, no. They, don't, they look, they're fraternal. Oh, there's one yeah. that, uh, the twins, one likes chocolate, one doesn't. Yeah. But I feel That's like all babies kind of look the same in general. Pretty much all of them. Yeah. All races. Yeah. Look exactly <laughs> the same, Jonah. As soon as they come out oh, and they cool. turn, the more they're in the sun. Yes. We're talking about postponing adulthood because I feel like <laughs> I'm doing the worst. I just heard something on uh, on the radio this morning. They're talking about happiness index. Oh, I heard that. Did you hear that? <laughs> and they were saying, yeah. That, Parents are not happy. Yeah, they said, like, well, we can figure out how happy you are just by asking you a few questions. Are you, uh, you know, what's your age? Eh, that's not too good. Um, are you uh, are you married? Well, that's good. Married people are happier. Uh, do you have any children? Uh, yeah, I have a kid and one's on the way. Ooh, that's not good. <laughs> You're screwed. Good luck with that. This must be something they're promoting because I had the the weather on this morning and it was uh, Today Show or something. And it was, by the way, a few people had come through a blizzard to talk to you, Walter. Uh huh. So, oh, right, right there. We're, we're on the verge. Yeah, of the end of the world. Snow apocalypse twenty thirteen. Not yeah. just that, but we're about to get hit by a meteor. Do you know about this? No, oh, come crap. on. You guys that don't know about the meteor? No. Another one for the- real. A meteor is passing by t- either tonight or tomorrow night. <clears throat> closer than some of our satellites mm. no. to the Earth. Yes. Is it going to go between the moon miles. and the Earth and cause a giant tidal wave and Thundar the Barbarian will start? It's the size of mm. a large office building, and it's going to pass closer than some of our uh, like data satellites. Well, right there, you said it's going to pass, so I'm not worried about it. You, know what I mean? it's get, you said it's going to hit. Well, they keep saying that over and over again. If there's no chance that this is going to hit. There's no chance... We're calling from the bunker. <laughs> At least astronomers don't have that less accountability than meteorologists, where it's like, yeah, we were wrong again. Sorry. Uh, 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 uh. Astronomers are like, yeah, sorry about the crater. First time yeah. they're wrong, it's, they, that's it. The thing that's that's interesting about that is if a um, like an office building sized meteor, if it hits the Earth, like that could be the end of everything. Like all it would take is an office sized. No, the, well, you know? no, they're because saying... I think the one that hit when the dinosaurs came was not even that big. It was, like, pretty big, but it doesn't even take a huge one. That one was, like, a mile or two. A mile. So a mile. This one is, like... They said that one like this hit in, um, like, a hundred or so years ago. And that it's devastating that, like, you know, it leaves... A, it's, like, a massive crater. It's, like, maybe a small nuke or something. Right. But that it's not like it's going to throw up the dust cloud that's going to wipe out. The I heard planet. it was a nuke that killed the dinosaurs. Yeah, a time traveling nuke. Yeah, like a. Um, that's possible. Yeah, sent by evangelical Christians. <laughs> sent back in time to get rid of it. Yeah, they sent back the first nuke. Write this down. <laughs> uh, this is it. I'm going to start a religion. Can I start a religion? A religion about this? No, it's been done <clears throat> twice. Yeah. Twice it hasn't. So I uh, saw. So, let's see. 
So this is the last podcast ever. Uh, last yes. podcast ever. Well, what? Perfect. Are you kidding me? <laughs> We're well, sealed great. up. Sealed up in rubber tracks, which is made out of lead. <laughs> That's great. Do you still... I remember I saw Gorilla Biscuits in Cleveland because uh-huh. I knew this dude, Joe, who sold merch for you. Uh-huh. And he got me in. And then afterwards, for five bucks, you could go upstairs and you did like an acoustic set. Uh-huh. Is that something you still? I mean, I know you do the acoustic thing, but that was I thought was awesome. It was like two shows. It was five bucks. Yeah. Give me a break. It was five bucks, and there was a stripper pole. <laughs> Why up charge there? anything for five bucks? <laughs> it's it's insane. Um, okay, so which part did you want to know was true? Well, no, I remember. I mean, like, was there a stripper pole? <laughs> that was a very. That was more of a statement than a question. He but threw that in uh, to see if you're did you like attention. doing that? Is that is it? Was that like? I think a fun in that experience? case, I bit off more than I could chew. Okay. Although they were fun, it was like. Um, I guess I wanted to have some sort of uh, that I thought that would be great. It was it was sometimes fun, but then I was like, we'd finish these grill biscuit shows, and it would be like, you know, everyone's on stage and pandemonium. Maybe like, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it. Thank you. Good night. Ah, shit, shit. <laughs> now I've got to like regroup, go upstairs, get my acoustic guitar. This is gonna be lame. It's not even a stripper pole tonight. This is gonna suck. Uh, like Cleveland was cool. Uh it was fun because it was the it was the after show that was the yeah. idea. But then I realized that I was doing the after shows and I'd rather just hang out and, yeah, and, it was fun and to party. Hang out. Yeah. yeah, that was I think in the end I don't I'm not grumpy about it. It yeah. was really nice. I had a lot of great times doing that. But I, subsequently, I never did that again. That was that was it for me. You, uh, I saw the second quicksand show in new york you did the bowery show a few months mm-hmm, ago mm-hmm. and i saw and after that show i've told many people this that i said i think i'm done seeing shows after oh, that show oh thank you because it was so good and thank I, you. i'm watching it and i had seen you i hadn't seen quicksand perform in 20 years uh-huh. it was <clears throat> white zombie and anthrax with john bush that oh I saw cool quicksand with a buddy of mine because we were fans and it was one of those quote-unquote cred shows for us because remember we got there early it was uh-huh. in maryland at a at a a horse track. Uh-huh. Friends and I showed up. And we're like, why aren't more people here? I don't understand. This band's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of people painted up like a white zombie at the time, which I thought was awkward. But <laughs> they were giving away the CD with um, How Soon Is Now, the Dino uh-huh. single. Uh-huh. And so 20 years later, watching you play, I was watching the show going, okay, there's no in-ears on stage. There's no one swapping out a guitar. Uh-huh. I think Sergio may have tuned once. Uh-huh. You know, but it was just that. It was it. Right. The show. Right. Straight through. And you don't see that anymore. No, no. Uh, that was uh, that. I, I, I vaguely remember there was an outdoor thing at, at yeah. uh, Race G. I vaguely remember that. Um, yeah, I guess compared to those other bands, we were like you know real coming from the indie scene. But I mean, at that point, we had like you know, don't be fooled. We had like a tour bus and all mm-hmm. that kind of crap too. So. Yeah, but even the show in Brooklyn, like that is. You know, it seems like so many bands now they have their they have their rigs with their thing in their ears. And I've never the been, you know, coming from hardcore. I always, it's not that I thought it was cheesy, but maybe in a way I did was judgmental of all that kind of like. I still don't want in ears. I don't want like on this uh, this last tour, we got really into changing guitars, which I've also been kind of against. But there's like a kind of becomes a a nice ballet to it actually if if you get into it you know handing them off and getting them back and the different sounds and stuff but i guess coming from hardcore i always feel like i don't even want effects pedals and stuff like that and and that was some some of the attitude that still uh was going through the stuff that we did but i don't think that that's necessarily smart or anything but it's just the way that came up unintentionally intentional and it comes off so well thank you that was it was great thank you was it a long because it, it seems like you know throughout your career of music and uh-huh. forming bands and bands not going and bands coming back whenever uh-huh. a band of yours ends there's just this clamor you uh-huh. know well, when are they, they going to come back when they come back and i feel like i've been just waiting and waiting for quicksand yeah yeah to start up again what was the process of getting those four dudes back into um it, it came about very uh in a in a very cool way and and surprising way there was just um a uh shit what happened there was because uh, revelation records was trying to get it was wanted to make things happen like that um oh no actually it wasn't even that it wasn't even that it was something else they were going to repress the uh the slip record and so i got the emails so about repressing the slip record because we don't own it you know uh the record company owns it so um, I, uh, 
sent out an email to the guys, you know, hey, listen, I got this. I just don't want anybody getting mad at me. So here's what's going on with this slip thing. If you guys want to get involved in it, you know, maybe you have some pictures or something like that. And uh, or, you know, do the business. I don't care. This is just what came in. And uh, Sergio, the bass player, just came back. Yeah, I'm really into it. I really want to make this happen. And as a matter of fact, I want to play shows. So. I was like, what, dude? Slow down. Sergio's also got a million other things going on right Yeah, now. he's like a super positive... He's just one of the most positive, uh, uplifting people. He's like a, a uplift mofo party pan, plan <laughs> man of one. He's great. So he, he kind of upped it. And, and uh, then when that Rev thing came along, there was more. And uh, I think he really just kind of brought everybody together and... Um, uh, and then a friend of mine out in the West Coast also was kind of just nursing everybody along. And, and then, uh, you know, and then the ultimate thing, I mean, long story short, is like it's super great, man. Like I feel like everybody's just – I just love those guys and we just – it's really nice on a, on a musical level to just look over at each person and be like that guy's really, really good at what they do. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and that I – you know, I love each one of them so I can look at them and be like – you rule, you rule, you rule. Worse in the day, it was back in the day. I think we were just a little bit more. Um, those guys were all dicks, you know. <laughs> 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 or either, I, or maybe it was just me. <laughs> they were all cool. I don't know, but it was harder then. I've said it many times. Being in a band is just hard. You know? Yeah. Well, you show up for practice and don't break up. That's that's pretty much it. I know. You think you think you know, but yeah. So that that's all worked out really nice, and and we had so much fun, and uh, so I'm. Uh, that's all cool and uh you know now i'm back to work on um i have a solo tour next month and uh i'm opening for this really big german band which is going to be kind of surreal um i sang on one of their songs for their uh that they released earlier this year and it's kind of a hit and so i'm opening for them and i'll be singing with them on this one song what's the band uh they're called madsen and um they sing in german so you would never really have heard them here and um and then I have another solo tour a year, like not a year, like a month later, going to play some festivals. Open Letter to the Scene is such a great record. Thank you. Thank it, you. Yeah. I remember that I was making the rounds through like it, certain people. You know, you have your friends who, you know, you have your friends listen to a lot of bands and every show is amazing. Then you have your friends who you're like, okay, are you like that? All right, I'm going to get that record. Ah, oh, it's great, <clears> man. Thank you. Yeah, trying to get a follow-up together and uh, hopefully going to, I mean, this this month has already been slow and with the weather, but... Uh, you know, either this month or next month, really put put get into it and get it done. Did you did you live in Germany at one point? I did. I lived in Berlin for almost three years, and uh, I I love it. So I have a lot of friends there. That's how I ended up like meeting like guys in Madsen and and uh, I think really when Gorilla Biscuits went over to Europe and Youth Today, really even before that, we came over at a time when that whole punk scene there there was a big punk scene because there's a big like squatter scene over there and um youth today particularly but grill biscuit kind of followed up on it uh just got in there at a good time when things were, were really uh there was a lot of people but they didn't really have a sort of a direction or a band to rally around and we went over there a couple times and people really i think it really spun people's heads around to see the new york hardcore at that time where they had been familiar with obviously like circle jerks or black flag or some of these you know kind of first wave hardcore bands um that were sort of at that point not in their prime anymore um we went over in our prime and played like every single city in germany and so when i came back i've always kind of uh you know i went to did a, did a solo tour over in germany and i met all these people and and they were like all these people like say Madsen or something were kids and saw Gorilla Biscuits and were like you know knocked out or changed in some way and um so it's a real you know it's it's a great great place for me I made friends very easily was that was that like early 90s you guys toured then uh youth today went over in 89 okay and I think uh, a little bit going on then <laughs> say again a little bit going on in Germany in 89 89 it was great I mean the the uh the or maybe even maybe yeah, early Youth Today went over in early '89, and GB followed up later in '89, in like uh, in November, actually October, November. And um, so when um, 
the GB tour ended, the wall came down in uh, Berlin. So I, I took a train to Berlin and I was there when the, I wasn't there like the first day the wall came down, but I was down there that week and like was down at Brandenburg Gate and like all the cameras, it was just packed with people and uh, it was surreal. So that was another connection that I have to that city and, and mainly to Berlin and Germany is, is, is awesome too, but I really love Berlin. Do you think it had anything to do with you guys playing Break Down the Walls? When Break Down the Walls was so perfect. It wasn't that great. <laughs> yeah. I wish, I don't know if, I'm sure maybe we thought about it, but yeah. we would have, we would have maybe made jokes about it, I think. <laughs> yeah, we did it. <laughs> They're finally listening to us, man. They're getting our message. You guys get it. <laughs> um, yeah. I saw you at Vitus a couple months ago mm. and I was trying to describe the show to Steven because it was like really great show oh, and then it was you. like almost like half stand-up comedy work you were talking about the gas thing and the guy trying to get you were in line at the oh, gas yeah. station oh man that guy I hated him <laughs> and I was like it was so funny though uh-huh. and like Justin sort of told me like you were into comedy I mean is that something that you're interested in because to me it seemed really natural yeah I I am into comedy for sure, and also, you know, you're talking about those Gorilla Biscuit after show parties. What I realize is like, although I like playing guitar, I almost would rather just talk, <laughs> hang out, and like have that be the thing. Sometimes, like, I just don't even want to, you know, because sometimes I go into a club and I see a guy playing acoustic guitar, and my first thought is, oh no, this sucks. <laughs> You know, because you can't talk, you know, you got to be polite and you got to listen. And it's usually someone's like inner feelings that they're putting out on the guitar and it's just, it's a lot. So I guess for me, I try to like <laughs> think of that audience member and, and be considerate to them. And, uh, you know, at least if you have a mic, you can talk louder than the people that are in the audience. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, who doesn't like comedy? Who doesn't like to laugh, you know. So I'm I'm into it. I'm not going. I'd up say to, half the crowd when you invited Reggie Watts to perform, and people didn't know at the Quicksand show. They were very confused. Yeah, maybe that was maybe that was overreach. But I just <laughs> I thought it was great because I've seen Reggie before before, and I think he's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he, he there's no doubt that he's amazing. Maybe that was not, not the right venue for him. <laughs> but it's like Reggie wants to open for us. I was like, yes, yeah, really. <laughs> you know, like I I don't if people don't think it's cool, then um I can deal with that. <laughs> you know. And I'm sure Reggie can too. They'll think it's cool years down the road, and then yeah, talk about it like they liked it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. something like, <laughs> something like that. That was the thought, because um, he's a, he. I saw him play. Uh, you have a lot of friends that put on comedy shows and stuff like that. Um, Dave Hill, who's pretty pretty active comedian in in uh, in town, is he plays guitar in my solo band, and um, I know some other people too in, in that scene. And uh, I saw Reggie play at. Um, some spot on uh north sixth at a free night and i think i had maybe heard about him somewhere or saw some little clip of him something and my he kind of just appeared like you know just for not announced and um wow it just blew my mind it's like that is some other kind of entertainment that i think is awesome like it's musical and it's full philosophical and um it's just some kind of uncategorizable kind of entertainment that I really like. And um Conan had him on his live tour when he got He did. Off. Yeah, that's where I saw him. That's where I saw him, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, God, that the the fuck shit stack is just the funniest damn thing. <laughs> yeah. So he's just he's just amazing. So I yeah, I love I love that kind of stuff. And and uh I guess in one of my last my last little round of solo shows I just felt like I don't want to force talking about things, but Sometimes I just don't feel like I'd rather just talk and like have it be that kind of an experience and be like not to be like Reggie Watts. He's doing like different kind of things and he's obviously like very much in the comedy world, but to have it just be entertaining, you know, and if I have something to say, sometimes my stories are totally not funny and not good and <laughs> and then I have to yank myself out of it and I try to and I go, okay play Grill Biscuit songs people will like that <laughs> get yourself out of this one quick buddy do, do you know Joe Sib? do you ever see his he, did, oh, Sib. he was in Wax and he runs um, Side, one, Side dummy. one Dummy but he did a he kind of did really kind of interesting you guys see I saw it at Bowery Electric he did it he's doing it at the improv in LA I think right it, now Yeah, it's kind of stand up kind of just biographical uh huh um, Very Ramones, right? Like Ramones, a lot of Ramones stories, or is that a different show I'm thinking of? 
No, he's more just stories about when he was a kid. He was in the band Wax. He was in Wax, and then he was in 22 Jacks, and now he runs Side One Dummy Records. I think it's probably something that's, like, not so unusual for people, like, you know, at this point, you know, where they just, you know, want to talk and play music. Well, you've done it, I think, so many ways and in every way. Uh So many different bands, so many different Mm -hmm. styles of bands. You're When you set out to write a song... Because you're multifaceted in your songwriting where it can mm. fit. Like playing a Grill Biscuit song acoustic, you don't uh. think about it in that way. Uh. When you play it acoustic, you go, oh, of course, yeah, it's a song. You know, uh. It makes sense. So when you sit down to write a song where it's for rival schools or Grill uh-huh. Biscuits or whatever, do you have a different mindset per band? Or Yeah, I mean, I think I with each thing that I've done, I kind of think of it in a different way. And also I'm... I'm in the way in the way that I'm writing, I'm usually writing to the people that I'm playing with. I'm thinking about their strengths and like how they might play on a certain thing. And I guess just the idea of um, the band would be different. Like in my mind, like say Gorilla Biscuits would be like, okay, we are the most positive band. Like compared to us, Seven Seconds are like, you know fucking negative approach like we are (laughs) above you know that's the idea of the band and then you know so the lyrics reflect that the music reflects that um and with quicksand it was something else you know it's like inner turmoil and strife i mean that's the lyrics kind of thing and the music kind of matches that as well and uh playing to the strengths of the people you know and i'm not by any means writing every i'm not writing everybody's parts but i'm what I'm writing, I'm putting into that, keeping that in mind. And, uh, you know, with uh, with each thing I, I do, I mean, it, I, that's why I kind of got into doing solo stuff to be like, okay, so what, how do I do it? You know what I mean? What If it's just my name, which is people can't even pronounce, like, how do I write to that, you know, and, and uh, where does walking developing. concert? Where does walking concert fit in with that? Because I I saw you guys at the bar and I really love that. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I I'm, it's one of my favorites that I ever did. Um, walking concert was gonna be a solo thing, but then I just kind of chickened out at the last minute of of my name because I just don't think people can pronounce it. So I decided to make a name for the band, but it was really intended to be a, a solo record. And then eventually, like the musicians that I got in the band were really good, so it be, kind of got a little bit of more of a band identity. Um, but the uh, you know it started off as just meant to be a Walter Schreifel's walking concerts almost like Walter Schreifel's you know mm-hmm. so uh, I play those songs I, I still play a lot of those songs so I think there's some some of my best work that's great I yeah. I'm sure curious for about like I read like the John Joseph book mm-hmm. about kind of like near car scene in the mm-hmm. 80s and mm-hmm. 90s and we had Norman Brandon on oh cool and stuff uh, and what I mean I just would love to get your perspective I mean like what what were those times like, I guess, like when like Bad Brains were around and the East Village was super dangerous? I mean, what do you kind of, what's it like for you to kind of walk around there now after kind of witnessing all that? Um, in terms of how, how the, the neighborhood has changed or in terms of like uh, the, the cultural change? Um, I don't know. Both it sounds super both. interesting to me. Just as someone who came here later in life, uh. it's just you read about that stuff and it's so... Well, for someone like John Joseph, like I think he came from a category of person when I first came to the to like New York hardcore scene, you know. Um I was coming from Queens and um from uh, at that time I was living in Astoria with my mom and uh the kids that lived down there, they were, you know, a few years older, blood clots, you know, at least a few years older than me. And uh, those guys were like, I think a lot of those were real hard case, from my perspective, I don't know all their stories, but real hard case people, you know, stories, you know, like runaways, like that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like after school special type of people like that had real problems. And, you know, that's how it struck me. Um, and, I, you know, my parents were divorced. That was really tough. But I was pretty okay you know besides that um and the 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 way that the lower east side was then was you know closer to what you'd see in like a movie like uh some of the early like brother from another planet or liquid sky or um what's some early jim jarmish movies you know where like the lower east side has these like empty spaces and you know it's scary sort of Mm -hmm. below you know, First Avenue, uh, you know, I wouldn't, Avenue Way was about as far as I would go. Um, 
And um, I remember the first time I went to Avenue B was with uh, Rabies from Warzone, who was this like huge skinhead dude. And, you know, he had been in the Navy and he was AWOL and he just had this whole life that was just like, wow, this guy's amazing. I can't believe I'm hanging out with him. And he took me to Avenue B and I felt safe. And I was like, okay, I'm on Avenue B. Kind of like in uh, 16 Candles when the geeks go to the cool party, you know, like I felt like one of those geeks, like at any moment I could be put under the coffee table. Um, And, uh, but it was fascinating, you know, because there was a lot of, uh, and I think it was kind of the end of all that really, It's like early 80s. Um, I think I probably missed the really crazy time with like bad brains. I was probably like a year or two late on that. Um, But I... You know, uh, and you see the Lower East Side now, and it's still an awesome, cool place. But I mean, that that thing about it is obviously uh, somewhere else, and I don't even think it's anywhere really. In, in uh, I mean, I think things. I love Williamsburg, and I think Bushwick has some edge and some cool stuff going on there. But um, that part of New York that I think is left over from the 70s when New York was bankrupt, when New York was, like, depopulated, um, that kind of ended in the, the late 80s. And I saw, like, a little bit of it. But it was fascinating. Yeah, I, could talk, I, I, th- I think it's a really interesting period. What drew you down there from Queens? Um, I got into... Um, I got into punk music, like Ramones and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, I listened to a radio program that uh was out in in long island uh long it was called wlar was midnight riot it was a radio station and just one night i was up late before school i think it was on a sunday night or something i think i don't know but anyway i listened to the radio and all this just this music that i sounded punker than the ramones was on the radio i was like what the hell is this and uh it was a hardcore show and they played like urban waste they played uh beastie boys they played dead kennedys gbh uh stuff you know stuff from england but also local stuff and uh so i you know would record it uh, on my cassette player and listen to the cassettes and so i you know i was i don't know maybe 12 or 13 listening to this music and imagining what i mean i lived in rockaway beach at that time what it was like in the Lower East Side because I would hear the sound. And uh, so eventually when I moved to Astoria, I was closer to Manhattan and I wanted to find out where the shows were. And uh, the first time I went to CBGB's, I was too afraid to go in. So I just bailed. I went to the front and I was like, oh, never mind. And I walked out. <laughs> uh, and eventually I managed to, to, to get into a show at CBGB's and uh, oh, I was awesome, man. I ended up making out with this girl with um, always makes a show better holy cow i don't know how the hell it happened she had uh she had black lipstick on and like we made out on the corner of uh bond street on some stoop and i went back to the show and i had like black all over my face <laughs> from making out with her and uh she gave me a bracelet that said slave on it it was awesome <laughs> and, I was like, and i was like this rule never ever happened again <laughs> never made out with a girl as cb's Ever again, <laughs> but that first introduction was just great. Um, she was the gatekeeper. Yeah. She was awesome, and she was she. You know, uh, so uh, <laughs> that whole time was just great. And there was, you know, the Pyramid Club was happening, and also there was a lot of uh, crossover with hip hop, and there was a lot of crossover with um, the club scene that was happening at that time, which was like now you would just never know it existed. Like then it was like free reign like there was clubs like all night 24 7 and a lot of cool stuff and a lot of my friends worked at them you know at those places so i wasn't really into you know the drug scene or disco scene but i would go to these clubs late at night because all my friends worked at them and it was an awesome scene so and um, you were and you were living with who at the time in queens my mom. Your mom? mom yeah. She was fine with you being out late uh, at night? At that point you know i was like a junior and a senior in high school okay. i had i had more uh leeway you know, and um, and then I moved out as soon as I got out of high school. So it, I was uh, 19, 18. I had my own place. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where were you working? Uh, I worked at health food stores. Uh, I worked at Integral Yoga on 13th Street. And uh, that was interesting, too, because, you know, the health food scene was was uh, kind of coming together. And, um, and it was right across the street from um, Gay Men's Health Crisis. Uh, the I don't I think that's the name of the I don't I think that 
gay men's center or something like that. But anyway, it was a big silence equals death banner. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was when the AIDS crisis was really happening. So at the uh, juice bar, people like Blood Clot would come in and, you know, hit me up for free juice and stuff like that, which I, of course, give him and all his friends because I was terrified of them. (laughs) Uh, And... um, (laughs) <laughs> but also AIDS patients, like serious, hardcore, like legions on their, you know, like purple, trying to get wheatgrass juice to stay alive, you know. So that was an interesting place to be as well. Um, Fred Schneider used to come in. The dude from uh, from Warriors used to come in. Uh, the guy that goes like, he killed Cyrus. You know, the like. Uh, Warriors. Yeah, that guy. Come out. In, that guy used to come that in. Guy. And I got friendly with him, which was really cool. So when he came in, I would get the little juice bar cups and click them together. He was cool. He was like an actor's actor. He was a, I can't remember his name. It's killing me, but I know he was like a. Come out and play. Yay. He was a trained mime. Yeah. Dude. He yeah. looks like a mime, actually. Yeah. Now you mentioned that. Fisher Stevens the... used to come in a lot, too. Wow. And uh, uh, with Michelle Pfeiffer on occasion. And. Uh, Fred Schneider used to come into Integral Yoga. It was a cool scene. And so, so you, so after you know, high school's done, graduated, uh-huh. you were just like, "Mom, I'm just moving to the city." Um, I moved to Jackson Heights um, to an apartment like right on the BQE, um, and uh, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. I was there with my friends, and we had our own place. We used to have parties. We were 18 years old. We had our own apartment. It was awesome. Tons of cockroaches for everybody. It was fun. Oh, uh, free. Did yeah. You, we've been trying to get Ray on the podcast to talk about yoga. Capo. Yes. Yeah. Was what? Did you do yoga with him when you guys were in the band? Was he? Were you guys into it at that point? Or? Um, Cause a little bit. He was. Um, Capo's fascinating. I mean, he was into that when I was talking about that nightclub scene. Like he was, that was his like uh, alter uh, ego. Like he was straight edge Ray by day, but like by night he was like out with this whole like gay crowd. And uh, he wore. He was one of the first people to wear biker shorts, and he looked good in biker shorts. Like that was a cool. I don't He's know. The, he if, was the one for the rest of the world. He was the guy like. That could wear shit like biker shorts and pull it off. And I'd be like, I'm going to try to wear biker shorts. I got biker shorts. I looked so scary. It was horrifying. Like when I think about it, I cringe. Um, I don't think I wore them outside. I think I got them, brought them home, put them on and was like, oh, Jesus Christ, you definitely can't do this. It's awful. You have a very little dick. You look awful. (laughs) No, (laughs) but it's true. Um, and, uh, you're with friends. It's okay. Yeah. So it was, uh, but yeah, he was not so much yoga, but he was very up on, um, on food, like uh, health, nutrition and, uh, at that time and uh i think yeah i'm sure he was into yoga he's a very like even then he could like do handstands he's just like a physically uh gifted like person in that way are you no so did you have aspirations to start a band or was just moving out working and hanging out with friends when uh once i got into hardcore i you know because i knew how to play guitar i thought uh well this would be a good way to make friends and maybe get some more makeouts out of the deal you know so black uh, lipstick black lipstick i wanted i want it back you know this is that was the way to that was where the cool thing about hardcore honestly was that it's happening everywhere Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like on the stage but also in the pit you know writing fanzines uh you know being tough you know all those different things so there were all different roles to play and i thought my best one would be to be in a band um and so uh you know, we were out in Jackson Heights, and uh, which was kind of not that uh, central to the whole thing. And we were kind of like low players. We were fodder in the pit. We were pit fodder, <laughs> me and my crew. And uh, to fill the spaces. Yeah, we were not players in the scene at all. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so we started making a band, and uh, eventually that that became Gorilla Biscuits, and you know people didn't like, you know, didn't get, care about us at all. And then eventually we started to get a little traction, and then you know, like anything else, and so then <clears throat> that became you know a real way to like meet people in the scene, and and uh, you know eventually we were playing in Pennsylvania, Connecticut, all these different places, and and uh, you know there's a reason why people still are interested in that stuff. I think it, it's because of uh, that cultural aspect. Oh, of it. good because I remember when I. F- found Gorilla Biscuits. I was living in Northern Virginia mm-hmm. and I went to Smash the record store there. Mm-hmm. And I saw just two records. One was Instead, 
Mm-hmm. They just, you know, looked good. But then it was a CD, but it was like set up like a seven inch. And it was, I don't even know if there's a title on it, but it was just Gorilla Biscuits and it was the drawing. With the Gorilla, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm, I'm buying, buying that it. one. Yeah. Yeah. It was perfect. And I loved it. And, yeah. And just, that was like my intro for it. it yeah. Fantastic. That gorilla, man, God bless him. He's yeah. great. <laughs> you know what I think is interesting is, to me, Start Today, like, I listen to a lot of old hardcore, yeah. and a lot of it doesn't stand up. Like, mm. A lot of it's hard for me to listen to mm. now. But that record, like, New Direction, like, some of those songs mm. are so, kind of, have such a pop sensibility. Mm. They're still, that record to me has always really stood out. I mean, when mm. you were Thank writing you. it, did you realize, like, hey, this is actually, like, people are reacting well to this, or was it just, it just kind of came out, or? I guess when we did the, um, we did, uh, you know, we just did little steps, you know, like we had the first song was on a compilation a song called Better Than You. And um, that was kind of like not that, you know, it just developed, you know, and I think once it got to um, by the time we got to make that record, it was just like, you know, the everybody was really good friends. The, the scene had kind of come. We'd had a good amount of experience. There was good energy. And, uh, you know, and I was just starting to get good at writing songs and and especially with the lyrics you know like thinking about getting people psyched in a kind of funny way you know and like saying something but not in a a lot of the stuff in hardcore was very didactic and just kind of like very serious and exciting in a way you know what I mean and I think um with GB, I thought the, the approach would be to be have a little sort of different angle on that and also I was very into like uh at the time that I was real into hardcore you know i was also super into uh a lot of the stuff you know that song that station wlar was playing a lot of music from england that was pop music i was into the smiths i was into yeah joy division buzzcocks a lot of stuff that's more pop based uh, i was into the jam and um i think a lot of those influences played into Gorilla Biscuits where I think the other bands weren't getting those same influences. I think a lot of the other bands were probably more inspired by like uh, maybe metal stuff or, you know, like Iron Maiden than they would be the Smiths. Right. You know, they were kind of shaking their Iron Maiden off of them and I was shaking my new wave off me. But lyrically, it also seems kind of prescient too, like talking about people like watching TV or playing Mm. Donkey Kong or not engaging. Totally. Like as technologies. It's the same story. Yeah. I mean, I hated that shit. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and you know, in some degree, that's how I felt then as a teenager. You know, I wasn't into it then. You know what I mean? And so I think it's not such an awesome attitude completely. You know what I mean? Because I do feel like there's a certain amount of things like I, I give up after like, I don't understand how to do this. Let me try to figure it out. I can't figure it out. Forget it. Who can do this? You know, that's usually my my system, which isn't good because I know I miss out on a lot of different things and by not accepting that this is the way things go. So I try to work on that. But the other side is, yeah, I feel sad that, you know, oftentimes like I'm just on a tour and I'm sitting there and I want to talk with everybody or somebody and everyone's just looking at their phone. And I'm like, what the hell has happened to our two? The computers have already won. You know what I mean? Like, they don't need to send Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, they, they just have to send these iPhones. Everyone will look at them, and then we're disengaged, and we're, we're, we're sort of in this other... It's how it strikes me. Like, let's, let's talk. Would What's you feel that on? way if everyone was sitting around with a book? Uh, with a book? I think a book is at least tactile, and I don't know. I grew up, grew up with books, so I'm not threatened by bro- books. And I think if you read a book, you want to discuss it with people, and you have more... You know, I find myself when I'm on a computer, and this is just me, and I'm not judging anybody that, you know, because I, I am envious of people that, that are really up on a lot of different things, but I feel a lot of it's just, okay, I'm just, I can say that I just read a whole bunch of interesting information, or I can just look at it from a, a Martian point of view and just say, like, this person has just looked at a screen for an hour and sat and done nothing, really, watched YouTube videos or you know red red message boards which is which is the, really the the worst that's thing. true you know it's just shows the just the the bile of of uh of human just it's gross we need to play that up against jonah's line of it lowering of the bar of humanity that's why we don't have a comment section on our website but the other thing is jonah is really super and early on i remember when i first met jonah i was amazed at how he was so uh he was such a wizard on the on the internet you know, it's like, what are you doing, dude? It's like, I'm wizardry. 
I'm sending emails to people. I'm responding to my fans. I'm, you know, uh, doing that kind of stuff. And I think that that's fabulous, you know. So, I mean, it's not all one way. But, yeah, so we're getting back to Gorilla Biscuits. Yeah. The line – and Donkey Kong is in the lyrics, which right. is awesome. I knew it was awesome then, but I love it even more because Donkey <laughs> Kong is just such a funny word. <laughs> <laughs> Makes no sense, and it's it awesome. is awesome, and it's in like a ma- like AF's not going to put Donkey Kong in one of their songs, but GB have that's Donkey how it Kong. stands the test of time, and yeah, and you know, so that's that's neat. It's it's interesting the through line you have with with each band and and the way you write songs, because um, it's almost like you can hear how your influences are outside the box of whatever genre the band you're mm-hmm. in might be put into. Mm-hmm. I, you know, young didn't get as turned on to the smiths to later so how soon is now the first version i heard was quicksand that's great yeah yeah i think that's great i think a, a lot of people in hardcore are from that angle that would have been the, the first way i mean and now i think the smiths have obviously been super celebrated in mind but i mean i think at that time in the early 80s like they weren't you know what i mean they were still happening it was still mm-hmm. on you know and uh i remember the smiths played in new york and i had been a really huge smiths fan but I was really into hardcore at that time, and I just didn't feel like I didn't take the trouble to go see the Smiths. That was so stupid of me. Uh, it wasn't until years later, when when Marcy came around, that I, you know, took the trouble and realized, what are you, an idiot? You're like, you know, what were you thinking? Um, but I think a lot of that stuff I brought, uh, a lot of that British kind of punk stuff. Um, you know, I would directly lift things and, and put it into Grill Biscuit songs or later quicksand songs you know and and i still do it what what went to what like what was in your head when you went from quicksand to rival schools like songwriting um i guess at that point i was a little i kind of spent a few years in the wilderness i was just sort of like not knowing what to do um and uh the major label that i was on went through like restructuring so i just got into this like demo world where you just make demos and they would say oh yeah that's great make another demo and i was just like i'm so beat on this i was thinking about becoming a fireman um which i'm glad i didn't do because you know uh well i was downtown i was always thought if i joined the fire department i could have been in like the 9-11 thing that would have been great oh great you know here i am but uh anyway um i uh I was in this demo kind of process and it was just really defeated by it. And then the whole company got bought or something like that. And um, it was kind of like Columbine, like all the all these artists just got like wiped out and dropped and everyone. And in the end, I was like one of the guys like under the desk that survived. And they said <laughs> like, hey, we want you to make a record. And I was like, really? You dropped Tricky and you want me to make a record? <laughs> Okay, and I had a meeting, I remember, with, like, Rob Stevenson and uh, Lior Cohen and uh, oh, wow. uh, Jeff, uh, oh, my God, what's Jeff's last name? I don't know, kind of, like, big music label people, and, like, we love you, Walter, we want you to do it, and I was like, shit, you know, so I got to get on this then. Um, so I took some stuff that I had already written and kind of uh, started from there and, and built on it. And it was a really difficult process, and I got musicians that I knew that I was friends with, and and I thought you know could help me along. And the uh, the vision of it was some sort of I guess to allow myself to be not so screamy and so dark. Like I think in Quicksand, I got burnt out on just being like singing about. I felt like you know ripping scabs and being like really dark, and um, I didn't really want to do that anymore. And I also wanted to um, not be so dependent on screaming i think in quicksand i was always like feeling i had to scream for it to be powerful and in the end the live shows would just rip my voice apart so i wanted to make those little changes and so it opened up a lot of a lot of stuff you always seem to pull out really great musicians i mean like sammy and ian Mm. rival schools are yeah i mean ridiculous yeah i know you've probably known them forever throughout yeah too good too good stop yeah Yeah. cut it out sammy god He's watching that guy. Use shorter play. sticks, something. Yeah. Yeah. Well use one stick. Challenge use one yourself. Stick, yeah. I'm now I'm now unimpressed yeah, with how good too, you are. Too good. Stop. Yeah. So putting those together. And then I 
it was almost, um, you know, I guess like a weird fan tease. We're like, oh, he's doing another Rival Schools record? When's this quicksand thing happen again? Yeah. So um, was it at the time with Rival Schools, what was it like reforming them? Uh, it was it was great. Um, the uh, It was sort of a, a task in a sense that, or challenge, not a task. Um, because, uh, you know, we had had a sort of, some acrimony in some ways and there was some like uh again record label crap that came into it i just got really tired of that whole process really like because rival schools ended up in the same situation because you know here's a band that some people like the band but we were sort of like in england we had some some success because they had pushed uh pushed our singles and we were playing like big shows in england we're doing really well in the festivals and all that kind of stuff in the united states they didn't put out a single so we were kind of like an indie band on a on a major label so they were just uncertain what to do with us and i was just burnt out on that process and didn't want to go through that merry-go-round any anymore i just felt like you know the secretaries are making more than i'm making and they're not like this is i'd rather i don't want to do this do you know what i mean this is a pain in the ass so i'm out um what label was it it was island Right, did, Rob Stevens. Does it feel like though, like one of those things where, like, as soon as a band breaks up, everyone's like, "When are you gonna play?" Like, I love this band, and you're like, "Where were you when we were?" Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I, I kind of at this stage of the of the game, having done each of these different bands that I've done, I've I've always had to experience it, but I don't I don't have any resentment. Like, where were you then? Right, right. Um, because it usually just. I take it as like, wow, okay, so the music I'm doing is hanging in there. There's a lot of bands that were around that had bigger shows than us or more success that no one cares about anymore, you know, and it just doesn't have that tenacity or, or whatever. And so for me, that's like really, as a, you know, an artist, you know, like that's some sort of um, feeling of like, oh, well, that's, that you should, you know take note yeah that's a good attitude that's the opposite attitude i would have I'd be like, where were you man like but it's so difficult like he's i mean i could do be to be funny yeah, yeah great so what the fuck what were you doing you <laughs> know now now you're here okay well yeah they even then you're here now okay good i appreciate that as a fan of, as a fan of your work you feel like i remember when, when i i was watching randomly mtv and it was used for glue came on the video i remember going what he has another band how did i not yeah fuck i was moving quickly you know yeah but also you know if you're moving quickly and the label's not pushing it and then i see the record and i'm like well this is one of the best album covers i've seen in years yeah you know this is great and then the band's not happening anymore yeah you feel as when you feel as a fan like i guess i'm not that big a fan shit i suck i should have sought this out but then yeah it's it was good and marketable and seemed for that time period like more could have and should have been done it was like viable for that uh-huh. for the um quote-unquote modern rock era uh-huh. you know like that was yeah it was radio a good ready it was it was in i think it was good enough that i think in england it worked because mm-hmm. they they pushed it and the united states it, they didn't you know i think like it was kind of i'm not saying it was so cool or anything like that but i think it was a, it was a bit cooler than like a lot of the stuff that was Mm-hmm. in the released at that time on a major label you know what i mean but for that reason maybe they were skeptical of it so i think that's that's the deal but i i wasn't so bitter about that i didn't really care that much about that but what i didn't like is um i don't and it's just the way the system is is like being second guessed by people that are sort of like have different priorities like it's not about music it's about it's about like uh you know quarters and you know uh that kind of crap and people's jobs and their expense accounts and it's just like i just want to make my music and be free and um and you know or do something else if if that's not successful you know because this sucks but um you know i think it probably would have been just this is the way that my whole thing has un, has worked out, you know, and I wouldn't recommend it because each time I make up a band, I got to, you know, you got to break up the band. When you break up, anyone knows breaking up is hard. And then you got to find new people and you got to work that up into some sort of excitement. And, you know, you got to create the name, write all the new songs and do all that crap and build it all up again. Um, you know, so I look at them as like, you know, these little chapters. I, I think another way to do it is to just, stick with the same thing and just like make it work like a long-term relationship you know what i mean and, and do that kind of stuff but i just i don't know after doing start today with gorilla biscuits i just didn't think we could do anything else i think we said it all pretty much and so i felt like uh you know i need need to do something else 
and with quicksand i felt like after we had done those two things it felt like i don't know i can't really dig any deeper i can't talk about these things anymore i need to do something else and so it kind of went like that do you feel like that you might have been better just you um or do you like being in a band? I think in, in in the end, I think I really like working with people. I enjoy like the camaraderie and maybe sometimes you deflect things that would maybe be something that you have more control over than you think. You can deflect upon other people. Um, and I think that that's something that people do all the time and, and I'm more aware of that now. But um, – I think I'm like a person that likes to work in a team, you know, but I also appreciate doing my solo stuff 100%. And like sometimes when I do my solo stuff, I don't even play music. I just talk, you know, I, I enjoy all these different aspects of it. And I think right now I'm in a nice position that um, I get to, to do all those different things. We say working with a team, but you, it seems like all the songs start with you. you know? um, even the Civ record. Uh, yeah, a lot of it. I mean, the Civ record, yeah, I, I did, I wrote the, the, I wrote that record, the first one, not the second mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Um, but with the band and with the people mm -hmm. there, and I knew, like, if I wrote those songs and demoed them and stuff and presented them to just any group of musicians, I don't think it would work. But I know how to work with Civ. Like, I know what Civ can do and how awesome he is. And the guys that I was working with in that band, like Charlie, the guitar player, was my roommate. We just had such a great sense of humor together and... You know, we liked every everything. It's like a great team. You know what I mean. So, like, even though I'm coming up with, you know, a lot of the intellectual property of it, like the really the thing that's bringing it to life is that teamwork. You know, and I I think I really kind of I th I thrive on that. Sometimes I think you can elevate your idea that way, and um, you know, and that that's I, I appreciate all that stuff. It's like they say about you know a boss. You know, you always. Uh, you're a good manager if you hire people who can do things you can't do way better. You know? It's awesome. <laughs> One of my favorite things is when someone else comes up with a good, a good idea that I can just ride on. I love it. And and maybe I'm too sometimes uptight to just let other people do that. You know what I mean? So, you know, I remember, you know, there'd be argument of like, yeah, you're writing all this stuff, but that's because you just won't let anyone else do it. And that maybe is true. You know, I just feel like I need to control it. Now I think I'm a little easier. But um, I also have other, I think maybe that I do my solo stuff and, you know, I, I, I feel like when I have the option to do everything by myself, that, that has its own problems. You oh, know? really? Yeah, of course, because <clears throat> you no longer have the the thing to push up against other people. It's all you. If it sucks, you it's something that you fucked up. You know what I mean? It's not like you can't say, oh, if they would only do it the way that I want them to do it, then it would be great. It's like you have to do that. So that has its own problems and you have to be satisfied and know when to say that's good. You know. And well, there's that first filter when you're working with a band, even if they're not there, that you're like, okay, what are these guys going to think about this? And that's exactly. – and you kind of helps you recognize your bullshit right away. Uh-huh. Even if it's just you in the room. Uh-huh. So, yeah. It's fraught with its own – but I think that's – the way I look at it is like a series of – I think like uh, I was talking to Ian McKay and he was saying like how he wants to create limits, you know, like just make things that make it harder to, you know, a smaller little. Oh, yeah. I mean, a little hole to fit things through. You know what I mean? No, if there's no limits, you fucking can't. It's hard to create. You know? Yeah. So at the same time, you know, with. So I, I just find from having all these different experiences. um, playing with good musicians, playing with ones that aren't that good. Um, it's always just the different variables, and a lot of it's just in your own head, like what you're, you're willing to allow to happen, you know, and what you're willing to go with. And, uh, you know, being able to recognize when something feels good, you know, and let it, let it be, you know what I mean? And I think that's a lot of the challenge and a lot of the fun, you know? At this point, you may have all those filters from quicksand mm -hmm. and rivals. Those guys may still be there in the room with you when you're doing your solo stuff. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's well. I learned from everybody. I learned from yeah. everybody, and I think a lot of people are right at least half the time. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you could agree with somebody. But if you were, if you started with this as a solo artist, mm -hmm. you, it would be a lot more difficult to kind of screen out the the bullshit because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. now you've got all these 
these ghosts of these past bands that are kind of like standing, you know, that are like helping you filter your writing, I would think. Yeah, you um, say when you write a song for whatever band you're in, you think about those people. So when you write a song and it's just Walter Schreifels, who, who do you think about? Um, I guess in that case, well, I'm just thinking about what I think sounds really good, you know, and how I'd want it to be. Like, who, And then I have to try to figure out, I mean, I can play most instruments. I can't play drums very well. So drums usually become a problem. Um, and then I want to get rid of drums, but then I kind of like drums. <laughs> So that becomes the problem, you know what I mean? And that's the challenge, you know what I mean? That's the limits, you know what I mean? That those are the, those are the that's the course you have to navigate. And um I would say like all the ghosts of my past things, like those are those guys are all my like teachers and peers and and it's just like, you know, the the tra- the road traveled, you know what I mean? So that those are all at this point like I feel awesome about all all those people and all those experiences you know and and that i'm lucky that i can still like you know if i make a record a that i can do it b that like there's going to be some people that are interested in it and c that i think i can make something really good like that's those are all really i feel really blessed about all those things I feel like you've written so many kind of like super positive motivational lyrics mm-hmm. like, like we're talking about stuff like set your goals or choices mm-hmm. made i mean do you have that kind of mentality still like sort of like do you ever get bummed out or always mm. like I got to be positive I got to like oh, for sure I mean I think I'm probably more I'm a pretty upbeat guy but it's really only because I can really get bummed you know what I mean I think I, I have to uh you need to have those mantras you need to have high hopes as your mantra sometimes you know where you're just like you know I don't think this could work this sucks I have a really bad feeling about this and this is going to devastate me somehow and you know, some sometimes comes with age, but I think even at an early age, when I you know was doing that grilled biscuit stuff, I think it really set out my personal philosophy in a, in a in a in a way. You know, and I always love playing high hopes. I think I played it that night in uh, in uh, at St. Vitus because I think it's just such an awesome. I mean, my song is pretty good, but I think the original. Just remember that ant. You know, do you know that song? Uh, Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. Yeah. You've got. High hopes. They probably didn't sing this in your kindergarten. No. They probably abandoned it. <laughs> no. Just little, what makes that little old ant think he can move the rubber tree plant? Yeah. It's a song about an ant that has to move a rubber tree plant. And they used to sing it when we were little. And it goes, and he's got high hopes. Yes, he's got high hopes. Best part, he's got high apple pie in the sky. Hope so anytime you're feeling down. Just remember that ant. <gasps> Oops, there goes another rubber tree plant. Cur plop. And that's where I got the idea from that. But that's like an awesome <laughs> thing to think about when you're just like, oh man, <laughs> no one likes me. <laughs> And there it is, everyone, an exclusive a cappella version of High Hopes. Yeah. That was one of the coolest things that's ever happened. <laughs> Sung <laughs> in directly my life. to Jonah Bear. He was looking at you. Yeah. It was right. we shared a moment. Oh, brilliant. So mad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and you had just gone to see Quicksand. I was gonna say it was an, yeah, another amazing, amazing show too. Uh, and they played everything. Everything. It was one of those shows, too, where you see everybody knows every word to every song, you know. That's because people are mad that there has been, you know, a, what, four, 13, 14-year gap? Yeah, it's been a long time. Since the last time they played. And so now I think every band he's been in is pretty much reuniting and playing. The only troubling part of the show was uh, most of the people stage diving were really overweight. It was, like, really <laughs> heavy-duty overweight. Like, somebody, like, would just literally, I'm like, you just killed somebody. <laughs> <laughs> But other than that, it was awesome. <laughs> That's what happens awesome. when you get those old school punk shows. Like, I've still got it! It's like, dude, you're huge. Like, don't. You're going to hurt someone. You should be leaning on the bar in yeah. the back with the rest of us. Yeah, dude, yeah. I, literally, I hung back by the wall. I had a great little spot. I just tucked in. It was That's wonderful. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Isn't that a fun moment when you're like, where's the pillar? And I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah just find that spot. Where <laughs> it, I literally had like this. And I, you know. And then there's always that super tall person where you're just like i fucking hate you dude like do you I'm tell like, him to move i'll i will like, tap somebody and be like can you go stand anywhere you're yeah. a fucking giant <laughs> and you have a good view and i'm like a decent height and i you're like you must be eight feet tall like, you're eight you feet stand. and you have an afro yeah like dude take the hat off like 
Yeah. I know. I feel bad because of my hair sometimes. Like, I feel like I'll stand in front of someone, but I'm not that tall. No, your hair is not Your hair's not that big. Your hair's not crazy. <clears throat> that's true. If no. someone bitches you about that hair, then don't move. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get annoyed at certain shows where uh, people sing too loud. They're yeah. singing along. Yeah. You're like, you're ruining it. <laughs> I was at a Ben Fold show at Bowery, and people were singing so loud. I couldn't hear him. So, uh, my friend Eric and I got on our phones and just started walking back and forth in front of people talking as loud as we could <laughs> until until nothing happened. Nothing happened I, you know, I sort of feel, though, like if you're really tall, like you have to stand somewhere. I and know. Like you didn't pick to be that tall. I know. I feel like it So did. I do think it's like you – I feel like it's good etiquette to kind of stay towards the back. But I also feel like at some point like you're like, I love this band. I want to be close. I'm fucking tall. <laughs> like what That's am I true. supposed to like, do sorry. about it? Right. Yeah, sorry. You got to move yeah. around during the yeah. show. Yeah, That's you got to move gonna... around, mix it up, stay towards the back. If you want to go up for a or song sides. or two. Yeah, 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 like. But you don't have to take your shirt off. That's your choice. No, you definitely do not have to take yeah, your shirt off. And those people need to stop That's going a good to shows. That is the worst. At the end of the show, too, when everyone's coming out and their shirts are off and you're, like, trying to, like, <laughs> weave around everyone. Just like a giant, <laughs> giant syphilitic fest, like, yeah. trying to push its way out the exit. Ridiculous. Um, syphilis is the way I like to end programs. Uh, if you dig going off track, some of you have been clicking on the donate button and we cannot thank you enough. We're going to try by doing more awesome programs, by showing our gratitude also go on our facebook page we've been getting some nice emails and likes and so forth facebook.com slash going off track parsley and sprout did an amazing website for us going off that brad makes all our shows look glorious on and he makes them sound good mm. you uh, guys sound so good there's nothing i have to yeah that's do. why i have a pop filter on the mic a lot. <laughs> i actually want to say one more thing really Please. quick uh, a couple people have emailed me about um I said I had a bunch of zines in my parents' basement, and some people have wanted them and have emailed me or tweeted at me. Um, if you did that, I'll totally send you one next time I go home. Just uh, send me your address and, like, two bucks for shipping or something. Yeah, go to so our we can Facebook figure it out. Page. Go to our Facebook page. Yeah. But get in touch with me. Or don't send them two bucks. Donate to the podcast, and I'll give you the money. Either way. Whatever. <laughs> I'll totally send them to you, but it might not be for, like, six months because I'm not in a rush to get back to Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. Yeah!